I'm Evelyn and I'm a geoholic. Oh man! <laughs> How do you Another not get into that? One of those songs that could be the uh, forever opening song, <laughs> right? So much going on there. Huge fan, huge fan. Welcome back to Yahawks. Here we are, episode one sixty two. Um, usually, I got like some big news right now, but I really don't have any big news, which is probably good. I, I, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I just came scrambling in here after uh, a heated curling match, of all things. Uh, were you victorious? I, no, we lost. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not in the best mood. Um, but other than that, I do want to remind people that uh, if you'd like to support the Geoholics, of course, there are there are a number of ways to do that. You can become a friend of the program, which we do have one or two remaining opportunities left there. Mm-hmm. Send us an email at info at thegeoholics.com if you want to find out more. And we also have, and I, we never push this, but we have a Patreon account. And for as little as like five bucks a month, you can become a Patreon of the Geoholics. And even for five bucks a month, you get a uh, complete Geoholics fan pack, which now includes uh, the new hats. We just ordered a bunch of new stickers, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about, uh, koozies, wristbands. What else? Poker chips. Well, basically, whatever we whatever got. Whatever we got. Yeah. <laughs> you get a bunch of. <laughs> we got crates of shit. Whatever we yeah. have, you get. <laughs> so you just go to patreon.com and search for the Geoholics. Um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, of course, we have a producer, John, with us this evening. Hello, hello. How are you, my friend? I am outstanding. I don't yeah. know why I'm in such a good mood. You're in a great mood. I just am. I don't know why. There's no outside reason. I think I know. What's that? You got to stop taking things so seriously. What was I before? Yes. Oh, okay, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Just so I, I well, what what contributed to my good mood today? Did I take something not seriously today, or yeah, yeah, yeah? I think so. Okay, all right, yeah. all right, all right. I'll, I'll think I about that. You didn't. Uh, I don't think you criticized me for too much today. I didn't. Maybe that's what it is. So that's always a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I prepare myself for the worst every day, so <laughs> when I don't get the worst, it's like a bonus. Hey, we all got to get better somehow, Kent. <laughs> Yes, yes. It's all in the presentation, <laughs> right? We also have Dr. Nick with us. Dr. Nick, how are you, buddy? I'm good. How are y'all? Doing fantastic. How's how's Texas treating you, man? Doing pretty good. Uh, we've had some crazy storms. Uh, those winter storms, was it uh, Winter Storm Mara that came through? I, they name winter quite, storms? Yeah, when, do they, when do they start naming winter storms? Or if, yeah, if, it's, um, if it snows in Texas, it's got to have a name? <laughs> Hey, we name it. Yeah, apparently. I, I had no idea either, but yeah, they named it. And uh, so it shut down. I was actually flying back into Austin from the uh, Rolex 24 hour races. And oh, no way. Yeah. And they canceled so all the cool. flights for the day. It took us took us a little while to get home, but uh, thankfully we're back. Hey, real quick. I just want to say I'm a huge Rush fan too. Yeah. I'd like to go ahead and call out that I be a co-host for episode 2112. Oh. I know we have... 2,000 or so more episodes yes. down the road. You're in. But for all you you are in. I'm there. It's yes. fine. I'm calling it like six years in advance. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's awesome. Hang on. Let me make a note. Yeah, make a uh, note. I got you locked Wait, in. I think you can add it to the calendar, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Write that down. Yeah, put it on the calendar. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, gosh. Other than that, not a whole lot new with me, to be honest with you. No, no new brothers to speak of. It's uh, yeah, no other family members. No coming other out of the woodwork. family members coming out of the closet. Or no, easy. Hold on, <laughs> not the closet. Woodwork out of the woodwork. Sorry. Woodwork. Yep, yep, yep. So yeah, uh, yeah. That's good. Uneventful. Big week. 
This Man, is a huge week. It is a big week. That's in, another in reason Phoenix you're in a area. good mood because you're not working tomorrow, jerk. I I don't plan. I, I'll come in in the morning, but uh, I plan to uh, visit the the golf tournament uh, tomorrow afternoon. Yep. Uh, hang out with some friends, some nice. some clients, some colleagues, you mean like some real friends, not like us. Yeah, well, my my other friends other that friends, I, that yeah. I like to hang out with in my spare time. Gotcha, gotcha. So is that the uh, the pro am then? Pro am, yeah, the pro am's tomorrow. Pro-am. Yeah. It's always my favorite day. I mean, my it's, it's relaxed, well. yep. but it's still a lot Definitely. of fun. Is it Dirk's Bentley who always plays? He does. Uh, I don't know if he's yeah. here this year, but he does normally. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he'll be there. I mean, it's always got a, and the lineup every year has been growing and growing, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's, it's a blast. It's always it my is. favorite day. Completely, I and, totally agree. And we need greenskeeper passes one of these years. Too. Is that what they call them? <laughs> greenskeeper passes. Hmm. They well, have different packages where I, you can go to the different tents. We have to talk to our financial advisor about that, but yes, if he gives we us do. a green light next yes, year. Yes, you we never may know. be able to sponsor sponsor something, and if we play our cards right, yeah. we can get some media access and. Mm-hmm. And maybe do maybe do an episode from the tournament. I know that's a pipe dream. Mm. Maybe right after uh, Nick's uh, 2023 episode, <laughs> we may, may be able to make that happen. You know By what? Then I could probably shoot under 100. Too. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think there's a lot that we can't make happen if we really put our minds to it. I mean, uh, to be honest, anything that we we attempt to manifest we typically do we typically do so um i appreciate you putting that out into the universe hey, now it's out there it's out there next year could be a mm. completely different picture we might be sitting on the 16th mm. hole doing some sort of media shit you never y- know you never know never know all right let's move on uh, uh tell that, us about that opening number uh for those who don't know maybe have grew, grew up in a cave that was rush mm. a song called spirit of the radio good one uh, Rush is a Canadian rock band formed in 1968, composed of Getty Lee, <coughs> Alex Lifeson, and Neil Peart, one of the best drummers ever. I mean, mm. if, if not the best, I don't know how you could have an argument there. They're known for their complex musical structures, philosophical and science fiction themed lyrics. Mm. That's why Nick's a fan. And they're progressive <laughs> and hard rock rock sound rush is considered one of the most successful and influential bands in the in the history of rock music over the course of their career they have released over 20 studio albums several live albums and many compilations they have sold over 40 million records worldwide Mm. they were also inducted in the rock and roll hall of fame in 2013 amazing band yeah i feel like that's a little bit of a snub uh, honestly, like for them to get in 2013, they should have gotten in in the, like the 80s. Um, really? I was a little disappointed. I'm sure that's the uh, the the Canadian part of it. They had to wait a couple more years before they were fully recognized. Yep. Had to get their visa approved. And they they don't care. They're so nice. They're just like sorry. It's okay, yeah, sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have talked about like the the actual greatest American rock bands, and this is another one on the list yeah. that we would think, oh, they're one of the best bands ever, but they're not an American band. Yeah, yeah. And sadly to say, I have not seen Rush. I'm a big no. fan, but have not really? seen it. And one of the reasons why is because like I heard their concerts are like three hours long or something. You know, I mean, hell, they got freaking 2112. That song goes for 20 minutes. And you know it, my ADD would kick in and be like, "Come on, wrap it up, let's go." Yeah, seriously. Don't worry. Like, there's things at the concert to keep you focused. Ooh. Um, but, <laughs> Indeed. So I quick, quick side note. So Phoenix, it was like 2011 or so, maybe 2010. Saw them mm. out at the the pavilions. No way. And um, I I can't explain it other than imagine you see the band and they have pyrotechnics <laughs> built into the floor. On the back of the screen, they've got South Park when Rush was on South Park. 
And that's in, awesome. Intermixed into this is a dragon flying around. What the? Behind the stage, there's rotisserie chickens. Oh my! And every time the dragon flies down, it lights its breath on fire, and the pyrotechnics <laughs> literally cook the rotisserie chickens on stage. <laughs> I don't even know what I just heard. <laughs> I think EPT couldn't make that shit. And, and, no, and, who was, uh, and what <laughs> VIP level ticket do you have to be able to eat the chicken that got cooked by the pyrotechnics? And do you have to wear like VR glasses for all that? This well, is pre-VR. I yeah, mean, and no. that'd be Jeez. an intense Metaverse uh, <laughs> concert to uh, oh enjoy. Gosh. That sounds incredible. Yeah, cool. Well, our, our guest this evening, of course, is a big Rush fan. We get him on here in a couple of minutes. We'll we'll see uh, see if he's had any Rush experiences. Mm-hmm. We'll but do. before we do, let's uh, not forget that we are in the Trent Keenan sponsored Get Kids Into Survey Studio. My favorite of the monthly barrage of Trent Keenan sponsorships for the studio. Yeah. I think Get Kids Into Survey is an amazing, what they're doing is awesome. Incredible. I mean, I mean it's, it, it, I, I wish there were more things like it in the other spaces of engineering and construction and all these all these uh, businesses that we talk about. No but question. Man, they, they do really cool stuff. Amazing stuff. And follow them on all social media outlets. Um, of course, Instagram. They have, they have a LinkedIn. They have Facebook. They got everything. If you're not already following, please do. Elaine Ball and her team are doing a great job mm-hmm. with it. Uh, we were fortunate to have met Elaine in Vegas at Triple Dimensions this past year. And uh, she's an absolute sweetheart with uh, more energy than... Uh, just about anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just she just goes on and on. That girl, no doubt about it. Sean's in deep thought over there. Uh, time for because he's on he's on the hot seat right now. Time for the I airworks. Am. Somewhat random trivia. What do you got for us tonight? Oh, I'm trying to be more prepared for these. I did a, did some research, obviously, to to prepare myself. Uh, I got a couple trivia notes about uh, GIS in general. Fitting. Um, fitting the topic today, I'm sure our our guests and co-hosts already know all these nuggets, but uh, the first GIS software, it's called Computer Mapping and Management System, was developed in the 1960s by Canada's Department of Forestry and Rural Development. Leave it to Canada. Leave it to Canada. And the term GIS was first used in the 1960s by a guy named, Dr. Nick, do you know this? Roger Tomlinson. Roger Tomlinson is considered the father of GIS. It was actually in a paper called An Introduction to the Geo Information Information System of the Canada Land Inventory. And to paraphrase a little bit, uh, it goes in uh, a company called uh, Spartan Land Resources. Uh, They were looking for digital methods of making maps. And right about that time... Uh, Canada was looking for some inventory capabilities on their land resources through the forestry department. And right then, they also were at a conference, the ASPRS conference in 1962. And an IBM consultant uh, got hooked up with them. And they, sh- you know, uh, Roger and I, the IBM guy kind of shared resources. And Roger had the vision, and IBM had the computer experience, and Canada had the need. And boom, they created the first, what is now a GIS system for that purpose. Wow. Interesting. Good That's- stuff. That's a lot of uh, sticky, hot nerd love right there. Oh, yeah. Oof. <laughs> wow. I don't know if I like the word sticky and nerd together in the same sentence. That makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, so moving on from that comment, uh, to wrap that up, <laughs> everybody knows it's now the most widely used, uh, the most widely open source GIS software is QGIS. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Dr. Nix talked about that. Yep. And the largest GIS software company is Esri. 
Oh, there you go. Flagship product, ArcGIS, that we all use every single day and don't even know it. Uh, Free plug, don't get used to it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, real quick. We have our Advanced Geodetic Surveys Weekly Words of Wisdom. And again, this is very fitting for this evening's guest. Here we go. Spatial awareness is knowing where your body is in space. Common sense is knowing not to stand in the same space as a moving bus. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a Confucius. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, that is uh, well, Confucius. I guess AK- he wouldn't had a bus, and you know, AK- is that Confucius via ChatGPT? Yeah, AKA ChatGPT. It's amazing. You just type shit in, and that's the kind of stuff it spits out. So, all that's right, let's very fitting. Before we get to our guests this evening, here is this week's bad elf minute. Hello, Geoholics, and welcome to Bad Elves Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the consumption of geospatial news, history, and technology. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolovsky, I'm a Geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial guide. For this week's POB segment, we are switching focus to some contemporary Earth science news. Recently, researchers have determined that partially melted rocks under the Earth's surface offer insight into what makes the Earth's plate tectonics possible. Wait, hold the phone. You said plate tectonics. What is that? Well, plate tectonics is a scientific theory that explains the movement of the Earth's solid outer layer, the lithosphere, which is broken into several large plates that move and interact with one another over time. The plates interact with one another at boundaries where they can collide, diverge, and slide past one another. This theory helps to explain the formation and movement of the Earth's continents, the creation of mountain ranges, and the cause of earthquakes and volcanic eruptions, meanwhile also looking at the distribution of oceanic and continental crust. Funded by the National Science Foundation, the researchers at Brown University used seismic images of the Earth's interior from more than 700 locations around the globe to map the asthenosphere. The team was able to analyze the changes and calculate the properties of the asthenosphere based on how the waves moved through the Earth. The calculations showed that small percentages of molten rock, roughly about 1% or less, were present in a layer of the asthenosphere and only appeared where it was the hottest. Next, they compared the map of the seismic measurements of tectonic movement and calculated that while the partial melt makes the seismic waves slower, it doesn't influence the rock in any long-term geologic way, basically meaning that this thin molten rock layer was not solely responsible for why the plates were moving, thus leaving a narrower path for researchers to study in the future. Bravo, this seems like really neat science. If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. And that does it for us at B2 Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper, my friends. Let's get on with this. Our guest this evening is Tony Speechy, uh, born and raised in upstate New York. He attended SUNY Geneseo, his own words, Harvard on the Genesee, where he earned an undergraduate degree in geography. Uh, 
get this. He is a sideline official, part of the chain gang, as they say, for the Father Tolton Trailblazers, the Mizzou Tigers, and we are in the midst. We, we this, is, this is like he's royalty here. And the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, really? Interesting. On oh, the chain really? gang yeah. in Arrowhead, mm-hmm. huh? He is a licensed pyrotechnician. I can say this is the first time we've had a licensed pyrotechnician, no doubt. Founding member of the Missouri Task Force One, a FEMA urban search and rescue team, and spent 30 years as a volunteer firefighter and red card wildland firefighter. And this, and Tony also has a, a day job. <laughs> Apparently, all that stuff? we're going to get to that right now. <laughs> Holy cow. He is currently the executive director of the GIS Certification Institute. I'm sure there's an acronym for that, but we're going to. There's going to be a lot of acronyms tonight. I can tell you right now. Mm-hmm. And he is passionate about GIS and has been since his first exposure to GIS in 1989. And he is fascinated by spatial relationships. Tony, welcome to the Geoholics. Thanks for being here, my friend. Well, uh, good evening, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here and look forward to the conversation tonight. It's going to be a fun one, no doubt. we got a lot of questions for you. Oh, yeah. But before we get to that, time for the Trimble Pro Point icebreaker. And, Tony, you're going to go first on this one tonight. Here we go. What is the first map you remember, meaning one that made an impression on you for some reason? I would have to say um, my grandparents had a atlas i think it was like a national Mm. geographic atlas of u.s history and what was neat about that it wasn't the uh you know just the typical atlas where you flip pages and you saw maps it described the maps it was Mm. your maps about the revolutionary war in america you know commerce movement the expansion of the united states from you know 13 colonies and Mm -hmm. it was it was fascinating and anytime i couldn't be outside when i was with my grandparents that was always the book i i pulled out and I think even before I could read, I was fascinated by the maps. But once I learned to read, I became even yeah. more enamored with the, the whole idea of mapping and, and using maps as a way of telling a story and, and learning about history. Love it. Very cool. How about you, Dr. Nick? Yeah. So the first thing that I can remember in terms of maps, I know this is going to sound weird, but probably The Legend of Zelda. I remember being like four or five years old and just sitting on the floor, like running this character around in front of the TV and just loving the map. And I would draw the map out on pieces of paper because, you know, there was no phones or anything in the early 90s to take pictures or digital anything. So I would like draw it down. Um, so, yeah, probably a video game map. Quite Interesting. Sean, do you have an answer for this one? Uh, yeah, mine's not as, not as exciting as those guys. Mine's the more traditional. Uh, we, I just The first one I remember is being in the car with my family on road trips and learning, you know, kind of on my own, what all the stuff meant, you know, how to find the cities and the distances yeah. between and highway names and annoying the shit out of my dad the entire time. Like, <laughs> Hey, look, it's three more miles to that. And Oh, Oh, you're supposed to take a left there. And then he's like, no, flip it around. And, but I, I just remember, you know, my, awesome. my sister and mom would be asleep in the car and it'd just be me and my dad. And I'm just digging through the map and he's been to that, where we're going a thousand times. It doesn't need the map, but, uh, that's it, really, uh, and I really got into it after that. Ah, super cool. So you probably should have been a GIS professional. I really should have taken that path. Or a path surveyor at a bare minimum. At a bare minimum, a yeah. surveyor. And yeah. I'm just getting to it late in life, I guess you could you say. There you go. Well, there's still room for you. What about we'll you? We'll take you. Um, gosh, I... <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is like um, probably on the box, or on the back of a cereal box, 
like, you know, when you're sitting there eating Lucky Charms, and there's a map on the back and you're like following the map to Lucky Charms and the end of the rainbow and that type thing. Like a, like a maze? Yeah, kind of maze, maze, map, map, maze. Okay. Pool or pond. Mm-hmm. Pond's huh. good for you. And, and that set you on the, the, the path that you are on now and I still know, going man. that on know. a map based <laughs> surveyor career that has, has no, hey. no comparison. <laughs> if it wasn't for Lucky Charms, I wouldn't be here right I now. I guess you could say. I, I totally get it now. Last time Kent was talking about that map to Candyland. I, I'm thinking something totally different. I love Candyland. I love Candyland. Shoots and ladders. That's, that's in my wheelhouse right there. Mm, yeah, it's, on, no it's on the correct intellectual level for you. No doubt about it. All right, enough about us. Let's get on here and uh, let's get to know Tony just a little bit. So uh, you're from upstate New York originally. Exactly where about are you from, Tony? Uh, so actually just outside of Rochester, town of Greece, basically on Lake Ontario. So western New York, not too far from Buffalo. Oh, yeah. There and, you go. Uh, fairly close to Toronto if you can, you know, swim across Lake Ontario. Yeah, there's some curling there. Yep, absolutely. And what was life like growing up in uh, in that area? It's pretty, pretty rural in comparison to the part of New York that most people think of, right? Yeah, absolutely. Most most people think when you say New York, you know, they're like, well, what's it like not seeing trees and birds and stuff like that? And for me, it was, it was exact opposite. So my family was originally from Amsterdam, New York, which is just outside Albany. So got to spend a lot of time up in the Adirondacks, hiking, fishing, mm, a lot of fishing, beautiful. camping. And yep. then, you know, I grew up near the uh, Finger Lakes uh, region in New York State. Same deal outside, you know, hunting, camping, fishing, ice fishing. And um, I probably spent as much, if not more time outside growing up in New York in the winter as I did in the summer because, you know, we had four full seasons. And so, you know, you ran around in shorts and a T-shirt in summer, played ball and whatnot. And, you know, in the winter we were skiing, sledding, ice hockey, playing a lot of ice hockey. Love it. Um, You know, getting getting in trouble, throwing snowballs at cars at night, stuff like that. But it was (laughs) it was great. It was great childhood. And I, you know, I. Kind of miss those easy days. So I can't believe you said that. Can I go off tangent and just tell you a little uh, hit in a car with a snowball story real quick? Oh, by all means. This is a great one. So I'll re- I can remember as a little kid growing up in Chicago, I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight, I'm guessing at the time. And we're driving down the road right by our house. And all of a sudden, our car gets nailed by a snowball, right? And I... I didn't even think about this till just now when he said that. This is so awesome. And all of a sudden, my dad, he is fucking pissed he pulls over he jumps out of the car he goes chasing after these kids and he grabs a kid and he like puts his face against the car and he's like don't you ever effing do that again oh man what a great memory oh man so good all right i'm back on track here um so gosh 30 plus years in gis a firefighter a pyrotechnician kind of that's kind of the yin and yang there right a little bit uh on the chain gang Man, oh yeah, man! Like, where, where do you start? Like, jo- jobs you, here. This I, is amazing. I got, I got so many questions. Gosh. Like, you know, what came first? Well, you know, what do you? How do you? What are the commonalities between all those things? You got to give us the story of how you ended up with doing those four things at the same time. I'd be glad to. So, so first would have been the volunteer firefighting. My dad was a volunteer firefighter. Cool. And at the time in upstate New York. Pretty much everybody was a volunteer firefighter. There weren't very many career departments. And so grew up in a firehouse, became a fireman, um, and really enjoyed it. You know, it, it was uh, come from a, you know, a, a um, background of service. You always give back to the community in some way. And so volunteering was one way to do it. It's a lot different back then. It was, mm-hmm. it was mostly fire, and now it's mostly medical, but enjoyed it every minute of it. Um, 
you know, as a kid, I really liked to, you know, blow stuff up, find firecrackers and stuff. But all that was, I was illegal in, in New York. So I moved to Missouri and I joined the Boone County Fire District and, and been a part of them for 30 plus years now. And I uh, kept doing the fire thing. I actually got to live in a fire station when I was in grad school. Um, lived in a fire station for free. Oh, it was wow. a good deal. I mean, you, if you've been to grad school, you probably remember not having any money for th- things like food and entertainment or whatnot. So it was very beneficial for me. Yeah. Um, got a, got, you know, it was, allowed me to, to do some GIS stuff on the side too as well. And, and Missouri, it's legal to shoot fireworks. Uh, so yep. we, we shot fireworks, right? And every 4th of July, we, you know, get all the money we had in our pockets. And a buddy of mine worked at a fireworks stand <laughs> and, we do a little show for our friends and families and it got pretty big. And then one day we said, you know, this is costing us a lot of money. What if we, what if we find a sponsor, right? What if we find somebody to pay for our hobby? And we did. So we, we, uh, we took the training, we got our licenses. We started working for a company out of Iowa called JM displays. And so now people basically give us money to, so we can shoot fireworks. And I, it's a pretty good deal actually, I think overall. Uh, that is like that's pretty cool. Oh, cool! <laughs> well, you got to go into high school and just like tell kids to do, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, they'll be like, "Screw serving! I want to do <laughs> that." Don't listen to your counselor. Go fireworks. <laughs> it's a solid yeah. career path. Have somebody pay you to blow things up, <laughs> right? Oh gosh, yeah. So that's... we and we do it all. I mean, we do. If you've ever been to a Fourth of July show, we can do all that stuff. But we also do. A lot of close proximity fireworks. So we mm. shoot fireworks at like uh, Mizzou football games. Um, uh-huh. We do them for we do them at the Mizzou basketball games as well. So we're doing flames inside the stadium. So oh. um, we 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 pretty much could do everything. The the inside stuff's pretty nerve wracking. It's a it's a lot more of a risk. So um, you know, it always makes you a little bit more nervous when you're doing it. But it's pretty cool. And you know, one of the really cool things is, of course, is you know when you're done with the show. Um, yeah. People are generally pretty happy, especially when you do a good job. So it's it's kind of nice, too. That's kind of like an added bonus when you get done and folks really thought what you did was pretty cool and they're really happy. We've we've done a, a bunch of like weddings and stuff like that. And it's really, really, you know, rewarding when the when the bride or the groom or the family is just, yeah. you know, really excited. And it's like this is one of the best things, best parts of the wedding and all that stuff. So Super it's kind of cool. fun to make people happy. And again, you know, make yeah. yourself happy at the same time. Yep. That's awesome. Um, so real quick, like when we go to like a, you know, a Cardinals game or something like that, and let's say you're sitting, you know, on the side of the stadium where they do the flames and everything, you could be like 30 rows up and when they do those the flames, you can feel the heat. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Crazy. I have to admit yeah. when you said close proximity fireworks, I did not think of that. I thought of Roman candle wars, shooting them at each other when I was a <laughs> yes. kid. Like I thought it was like hand-to-hand combat kind of fireworks. That's but awesome. I'm sure that's the the more professional route. Uh, Nick, what do you got over there? Tony, I just have to ask you because of your unique perspective, liking to blow things up, uh, liking fireworks and GIS. What do you think about these new drone shows? Mm. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Very cool. That's a good question. Like, choreograph. I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I don't know if I like it or not. You know, I think it's a cool thing, supplemental, but from the, the ones I've seen, the ones I've heard about, a lot of times, you know, a couple of drones go offline, so you're missing parts. You know, they're, they're doing the American flag, and you may be missing a stripe or a couple couple stars. Um, it, you know, for me, it's how do you replace the, the, the boom, you know, the thump of the firework going out of the tube, and then the actual break and the explosion or the multiple explosions, like when you're doing what we call finale chains towards the end. It's, oh, that's my favorite part. Yeah. You know, you can't, 
to me, they're two separate things. I would never, I would do a drone show in addition to a firework display. I wouldn't do the drone show instead of a firework display. You really can't replicate the tears in the little kid's eyes that they're scared shitless of the fireworks and the, and the animals going crazy because of all the loud noises and all that, like yeah, car alarms going on. Yeah. Yeah. That feeling and all that you can't really replicate, but Quick, quick recommendation. If you're in Phoenix, do the Tempe fireworks and mm. go and rent a kayak or have a small oh. boat. Go out to Tempe Town Lake and they shoot them off right above you. And you actually feel the ashes kind of coming down. And uh-huh. it's a really neat perspective being right under the fireworks. That's cool. That's cool. Absolutely. The, the, and the, the other thing I, I was reminded of is uh, I got married. Uh, it'll be 10 years uh, ago uh, this Memorial Day. And uh, we got married at the Biltmore here and... Not, I guess not coincidentally, but they had a fireworks show for yeah. Memorial Day. Oh, and wow. we've got some great pictures That's of my awesome. wife and I and the fireworks going off in the background. And awesome. totally didn't plan it. It just kind of happened. And, man, it really made the thing. Yeah, yeah. And my wife and all that beautiful stuff, too. But oh, the fireworks were cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, and you're still married. That's, and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Um, so I, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but the whole chain gang thing is definitely intriguing. Um just give us a good chain gang story. Maybe when you're doing it at a Chiefs game, you got anything? Did you get like run over by uh, by Patrick or anything? Uh, you know, I did. I've not gotten run over by Patrick. I've gotten uh, almost gotten run over by a couple guys. I mean, those guys, even the big three hundred pound linemen, move yeah. really, really fast. Um, you know, it was really neat being on the field for the NFC Championship game. Oh wow! Um, Patrick Mahomes. If you watched that game and when he got shoved out of bounds, that late hit that led yeah. to the field. Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. right there. Oh, yeah. oh right really? There. really? Ask you that, like, I'm going yep. back and looking at that video, and I'm finding you, Tony. You'll, you'll find <laughs> me. Yep. All right, yeah, and you don't have to say, I know where your allegiance is, but uh, clearly a late hit. If you were the guy, would you have thrown the flag? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. No okay. question. Yeah, that was blatant. Yeah, no, it was, there was no question about it. I mean, he oh. was Patrick Mahomes was going straight for the sideline. From my angle, it looked like he kind of kept running up the sideline. But he was clearly out. I mean, that, that's what I th- I thought. It was, he didn't go laterally out. Mm-hmm. He was kind of doing that thing, and he was, you know, that fake injury he had where he was hurt and hobbling around. I think that added to it. But yeah. I'm I'm a doubter. What can I say? Yeah. Are you a conspiracy theorist? Oh no, not 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 on the not on your level. <laughs> not on my level. Yeah, I'm just a skeptic. There's a oh. difference. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. Now, just for the record, yeah, you know, we are not allowed to show favoritism or root for any particular team in the game. So, of course, yeah. Um, and I'm actually a Green Bay Packer fan first. So, <laughs> so how does that work when you know the Packers are in town and you're like standing there and you know you're just like you know grinning ear to ear, hat, like you, you ever get like a little mini fist bump, like like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know you. you um, yeah, if, if you know, like I talked to some of the equipment guys before the game and stuff, and cool. the so they were there. Uh, Green Bay's been there a couple, actually both years. This this yeah. current year was a pregame, a preseason, and then last year. So a group of us actually um, tailgated outside before the game, had some hot dogs and stuff like that, and and uh, I had my Green Bay T-shirt on, of course, in the parking lot. Yeah, and I walked in and I forgot to take it off. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and my buddy who who helped me uh, land this gig, he. He's actually from Wisconsin. He looks at me. He goes, you're lucky that you haven't gotten thrown out of here. Wow. <laughs> I'm sure there was fireworks. That's so cool. 
Crazy. <laughs> so he gave me a towel. He said, put this on and get changed right now. <laughs> Did you see the uh, hubbub today on social media about Aaron Rodgers winning the Proem? And that they say he was sandbagging a bit with his uh, handicap. I actually read that, and because uh, uh, his index at the, uh, I guess the Green Bay or not Green Bay, but the Wisconsin Country Club, wherever he, wherever yeah. his home course is, is like a plus three. But somehow he was getting ten shots around on everybody. Well, not everybody else, but he had a plus ten. Oh wow! In that tournament, and yeah. the uh, the I don't know how you sandbag like that and get ten shots, but yeah. Uh, apparently, it was Josh Allen complaining the most. Uh, that's uh-huh. awesome. Yeah, well. I love it. I love it. <laughs> this week's featured friend of the program is Advanced Geodetic Surveys, Inc., also known as AGS. They are a equipment dealer specializing in mapping and land surveying equipment. Been doing business since 1991. Yeah, uh, their team works to provide the best solutions and service for your needs. And I have actually personally had great experiences with AGS. They offer a comprehensive list of competitive surveying and mapping products, service, supplies, and more. They deal in new, pre-owned, rent, and they even have a Sherp, if you can believe that shit. I saw that. That looked amazing. The staff at AGS, they have combined experience of over 150 years, and I know that they can help with any problem that you may have or encounter in the field. In fact, their number one priority is customer satisfaction. Of course it is. Find out more at agsgps.com and make sure to tell them that the Geoholic sent you. All right, so let, let's get on with this. Um, passionate about spatial relationships. I like that term, terminology. Explain this concept in your eyes. Okay. Well, a little bit earlier I talked about, you know, read my, uh, that atlas at my grandparents' house. And, and to me, I think, you know, kind of what started me on that journey was not, not seeing just the map, but kind of understanding the map and learning why certain things happened and, and how, like in those cases, like some of those uh, American Revolution uh, maps that they were shown with the treatments, you know, it's like how topography affected the war and why things happened certain ways. Water was another big one. You know, as a kid, we went to a lot of those forts like Fort Ticonderoga, Fort mm. William McHenry, and you know, you don't really understand much why it's there. It's just what it is and what the features of this fort are. And then you start realizing that you know, a lot of these ba- battles were fought along waterways because that's how supplies and troops move back and forth. And so, you know, you start seeing those relationships um, and, and the kind of the cause and the effect and, you know, the spatial aspect of it. Um, when I was in grad school, we did a project. Um, we, were, we were kind of looking, trying to figure out where folks, you know, f- uh, safety on campus was a big issue at the time. Yep. Um, there were a lot of issues. And so we, we wanted to, we wanted to figure out where students didn't feel safe on campus and then try to figure out why. Right. So we were able to map all that out. You know, we did a survey and, you know, we found where folks would go during the day, but wouldn't go at night. And then we try to have a find if there's some kind of relationship, you know, some correlation or something going on there. So we mapped buildings, we mapped the lights, we mapped light intensities, um, vegetation and all these things. And we actually mapped crime, right? So, so it's like, okay, certainly they don't want to go there because there's crime. Well, it turns out that really wasn't the main cause. It was actually vegetation. We saw that relationship. And so mm. folks, you know, there could be good lighting, but if they saw bushes, then that inst- instilled a sense of fear. And, you know, and I, you know, that's not something we really picked up on until we actually looked and saw that spatial relationship. Mm. Um, and so that's always kind of been a big driver for me. It's like, why, you know, why do things happen on the earth and what, what causes those things, whether it's a, 
you know, topography or wind or just human patterns or, or the like. Have you ever um, heard of the, I think it's called the broken windows theory. Is that familiar to you? I don't think I have. I, so not New York. So Rudy Giuliani, I think kind of uh, when he was uh, governor or whatever of New York, he, he, he kind of championed it, but it's this idea that uh, if you clean up, like if you have broken windows that attracts crime, if you even just mm. show that like it's looking safe and it's clean and not broken and, you know, uh, kind of like dilapidated, it actually will um, mitigate crime. And so mm -hmm. there's studies and I don't, maybe that, maybe it's called something else, but does that make any sense or have you heard any of that? Oh yeah. I think that was part of his, uh, I think it was called crime stat. Hmm. where you don't let the little things go, right? You, you, you go after mm. the little things and, uh, and that helps prevent the big things from happening. Um, mm. And that's, you know, that's another good example. Um, Giuliani, when he was using CrimeStat, I, I don't know if you've ever been down to Times Square, but it, that's, that's where you went for adult entertainment and or uh, uh, licenses, fake IDs, right, back in the 80s. That's um, not why I was there. I just want you yeah. to. Yeah. Well, now it's family. <laughs> yeah. No right? idea so what you're talking about, right? <laughs> So, so one of the things he did, you know, he said, hey, listen, we can all agree that pornography is, you know, not a good thing to be around schools and uh, churches, right? Can we all agree, you know, like a, a thousand yards or something like that? Oh, yeah, sure. So they, they went to the GIS department and said, buffer this out and pushed everything out. And, um, you know, so just an example where GIS used, I guess, was to help clean up New York City. But, I mean, I think you get, you guys are surveyors and, you, you know, you probably see things like uh, – you know, like um, the the uh, settlement patterns in the United States of America, where the French the French would come in and how they you know mm -hmm. surveyed the land and how they subdivided land was completely different than how English and other different types of uh, yep. uh, explorers or colonizers came in and did those things. And so, you know, for me, just being in Missouri, it was fascinating to see the uh, land ownership map and realize that a lot of it was influenced by navigable water and access to water rights because St. Louis was settled by the French, but other parts were settled by um, a different ethnicities. Hmm. So interesting. So interesting. Got some? No, go ahead. All right. So <clears throat> I love, I love the uh, spatial relationships uh, concept. It's really cool. When you, when you talk about it like that, um, gosh, it makes perfect sense. So let's, let's give you a softball before we get into this. What I'm really excited about this evening is learning everything there is to know about the the GISP certification. One that is still a bit of a mystery to me, but before we get to that, Tony, if you would, what inspired you to be a GIS professional? Uh, that's, um, I was afraid you'd ask that. I, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you, Do you mean like a GISP or go into the geospatial field? I would say get into the geospatial field. Oh, okay. So when I was an undergraduate, uh, took computer cartography. I took manual cartography, which was a great class, but it turned my hands black from ink and it was nerve wracking to try to make a perfect map. Then the next semester they said, Hey, you could do it with a computer and it's a lot easier. And so that kind of got me on that track and, and, uh, started doing the mapping. Then I got a job with the New York state department of environmental conservation and they wanted me to remap all of their data. They had like 40 layers of data that they needed for regulatory affairs. And, um, the guy I was working for, he's like, you know, there's this GIS thing. If you want to check it out, maybe we can find some money for you and you could do it with whatever this GIS thing is. And so I basically self-discovery, like a lot of GIS folks, I just, I taught myself GIS and, you know, learn how to start doing the software and buy, buy equipment. And that's kind of what got me on that path. And so when I went to graduate school, 
I actually had a research assistantship and so I did GIS as part of my program and stuck with it ever since. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of like Rush, right? You got a bunch of geeks that love Rush. And I think that's kind of the same thing with GIS, at least back then. It was just a bunch of geeks, you know, a bunch of us that were just so geeked out about software and all you could do with it. And I just stuck with it. I got, I guess I got lucky because I've loved it. That's definitely still the case. That has not changed at all. Yeah. Sticky geeks. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Cool. So we mentioned we're going to probably talk about a few acronyms this evening. Um, You know, GIS, of course, GISP, GISCI. Let's start with GISCI. Um, Explain to our listeners exactly what that is. Okay. So GISCI, GIS Certification Institute. And uh, basically what we are, we're a not-for-profit. Uh, and we provide the, the geospatial community with the only internationally recognized complete certification, uh, which is the GISP certification or GIS professional. There are other geospatial profession or um, there are other GIS type certifications out there. We're not the only one in the business, but we're the one that has the, the widest acceptance. And we are actually in at least 57 countries, well. uh, maybe one or two more after this last test. So Essentially, what we are is we're a professional credentialing body. Interesting. So how do you go about getting others to accept or recognize the GISP certificate? Um, discussion. Okay. You know, forms like this, opportunities like this. Um, you know, our, I think our biggest enemy right now is uh, ignorance. There's a lot of people that don't like the GISP. They think it's worthless. Uh you know, they think it's stupid. You go to Reddit and you can hear all kinds of colorful comments about what we do. And I don't have a problem with folks having that opinion, but, you know, most of those folks that have those opinion don't really know what it is. They just dismiss it, right? And so I think really in anything we do, it's very important that we get educated on something before we draw conclusions. And so, you know, really what we try to do more than anything else is educate folks, talk to them about the certification, talk to them about the benefits, um, you know, direct them down the path if we think it's a, a good path for them or maybe send them, um, you know, in a different direction or encourage them to, do, to try some other things before they get started. Um, you know, professional certification, I think there's like 1,700 professional certifications and licensure across the United wow. States of America, but not very many in geospatial. And mm-hmm. a lot of folks, when you talk about this, a lot of folks are like, they have no idea what professional certification even is. Um, much less what the GISP is. And so I think, you know, maybe it's just because our industry is so young. Um, we just have a lot more education to do and, and try to waste that awareness. So speaking of softball questions, you got to be able to hit this one out of the park. I'm just curious at, at, the, at, at a high level, what, what, what would you say the benefits are for the professional certification? Well, there's a couple, to, a couple benefits, <clears throat> some of which are a little more tangible than others. I think one and probably one of the most important is it's a demonstrated commitment to behaviors that enrich the profession, right? Mm. If you want to be a a certified professional, uh, a geospatial professional, you've got to meet certain criteria and that kind of puts you at the same level as other folks. But if you want to keep it, you have to educate and and basically invest in yourself Mm -hmm. and you have to participate and, and invest in the geospatial community. It's not a you know, check a couple boxes, use your piece of paper and off you run. It's an ongoing uh, certification. And that's, again, like all their professional certifications. Um, it, it allows you to grow your professional knowledge and skills. You have to meet a, a standard. So you have to get to that standard. <clears throat> and then you have to keep at that standard. So it's, you know, it's that investment in yourself. Um, GISP really does differentiate yourself from other professionals. 
it's an indication that you've met that criteria, you've worked towards that and you've achieved it. Doesn't mean you're any better than other folks mm -hmm. necessarily, but it means it means you've met those standards. Um, and with that comes professional credibility. And I think one of the most important things for folks, especially in today's day and age, is it does help uh, increase your earning potential. Mm -hmm. um, we know that a lot of our GISPs, especially folks that work like in union shops or some type of organized labor, it's an automatic race. Mm -hmm. You get your GISP, you submit the paperwork, you get, you get a pay bump. Yep. Um, a lot of employers will just increase your pay or they'll pay for this education. They'll help you get this GISP because they know you're investing in yourself which is becomes a bigger asset for them. And so, um, you know, I think, I think things like that demonstrated commitment are very important, but at the same time, you can't discount the fact that it does help uh, a lot of folks with their salary. And the last salary survey we did, um, I think it was like 62% of GISPs made more than their peers. Um, so that's, that's a pretty important number. Yeah, for sure. I think that would make sense for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, so uh, Dr. Nick, what do you, what, what do you got over there? Yeah, I just wanted to echo what Tony was saying. Um, you know, having a GISP as well, I've advocated on uh, for it on this show, but it means a lot to me when I see somebody has a GISP. So I hate to credential people, but when I get an email and I do a lot of interacting with new customers and clients and strategic partners, and so I get a lot of email. And the, one of the first things I'll always do is look at their email signature block and just kind of see very quickly who they're about. A lot of people have links to their LinkedIn or they'll, you know, they'll have their letters or their titles and things like this. But when I see GISP, I, it's exactly what Tony said. There's a commitment there that I understand that they have a base level of knowledge, that they're committed to the technology and they're passionate about the industry and they care about morality. You know, they're trying to do good. Yep. Um, and so I immediately can like my, how I write the email changes mm. because I see that I may, and, and I, I, I don't know, um, coming from the engineering perspective, Shug, or coming from a surveying uh, background, Kent, it's a little different in each area, but in GIS, there's a wide range of GIS people out there, practitioners, so to speak. You've got people that like, they're not educated formally at all. And they're using Google Earth, or they're they're using yep. GIS at, at, or they made their way up through some type of public service or mm. state and local government. And then on the flip side, you've got PhD people and you know full on researchers and every slice of it in between. And so you, when somebody goes, yeah, I do GIS, you have no idea what that means. Mm. I mean, that means they they yeah. they might have made they've maps for ten years, but they put dots on maps. Mm. It, it may mean they they program Python. You know, uh, and so at least the GISP gives that, like, I know there's a baseline there yep. where if I'm going to talk about projection systems, they're going to at least not like glaze over, you know. So anyway, I yeah. just wanted to say, I liked what Tony, you said it a lot more elegantly. That's probably why you're the What's that baseline director. legitimacy, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I could echo that, and, you know, on, I'm sure. sure in our perspective, when you, Absolutely. you see the right letters, it's, uh, yep. And that's correct. I, I need to tighten up my my response here because <laughs> my level of BS is going to yep. be called out a little more <laughs> in this email that I can't get away with. It's a really good point. I tell my yeah. folks all the time, you know, it's like uh, certification, licensure, you know, just getting credentials, whether it's, you know, the CST1 or whatever. There's plenty of opportunities out there to obtain credentials and it just it adds value. It adds value across yeah. the board. You know, it adds value to the individual. It adds, adds value to the company they work for, uh, you know. Definitely a, uh, a proponent to certification and licensure for sure. So, yeah, along those lines, like what does that career path look like, Tony? Like, 
you know, what does a path to cert- certification look like? And, and we talk, and I'm, you know, the second, you know, part B to that question is, uh, we talk a lot about the deficit of surveyors and young surveyors is, a, do you experience the same thing? Is it, is there a big void and need for, uh, certified professionals? Um, I would say, yeah, I'd say there's a void. So, so kind of part A is, you know, what's that path? And so, uh, you know, the path to get a GISP is, is similar to a lot of different certifications. You have to have four years of professional experience. Um, you have to submit a portfolio and that portfolio looks at your uh, contributions to the profession, your education, your experience. And then you have to take and pass our, our geospatial knowledge exam. Mm. Um, the two of those, and then uh, you, you got to pass basically both of those. And then the, the last component, and I think the most important component, is um, you have to agree to abide by code of ethics. Uh, we have a geospatial code of ethics. Nothing in there that's uh, you know surprising, or it's probably very similar to what you guys have in surveying and engineering. But it's basically, you know, you will you will do no harm. You will do only good. Um, when you you get all those things together in that four year experience level, um, that's what gets you the GISP. So it's uh, it's it's a pretty, a pretty, I'd say it's a relatively simple process, but it takes a lot of work to do it. Right. And so Nick kind of gave me a softball a little bit earlier when he was talking <laughs> a little bit about, you know, the value of the, of the GISP. And, and so this is kind of going to answer part B, right? The geospatial field really blew up. I mean, the first Desert concert conference I went to is uh, like 9091. And I think maybe there were, you know, 2,500, 3,000 people, not even that many. You knew everybody either by sight or by name. Now you go to Nesri UC and, you know, you still find all the people you know, but there's 20,000 plus professionals. A lot of us came into the profession with a geography background, but tons of folks are kind of coming in sideways now because of the explosion of jobs, right? You, the geospatial field's like the number three growth area in jobs, at least it was back, back you know, a couple of years ago. And so a lot of folks don't have that background. You know, they start out as a biologist or you know, a journalist and, and they get really excited about GIS like we did and they, they start doing GIS stuff and, you know, they, they can get really, really good at software, but like, like Nick points out, do they understand projections? Right. Do they understand um, datums? Do they understand, um, you know, the importance of, you know, precision of data or data, uh, data analysis, data analytics on all those things. And so that's kind of where I think a GIS becomes very important because, you know, we provide kind of a benchmark to, to learn up to, to get the certification. And the benchmark's really designed to kind of be broad for the entire geospatial community, right? There's, um, the, there was a UCGIS, so the basically academic folks put together what they call this um, GIS and T body of knowledge. It's this mm-hmm. wide expanse of all things geospatial. And it's huge. I think there's like 400, there's like 400 areas um, that they identified where GIS had some kind of, you know, geospatial had some kind of bearing. And what we do is, you know, we write a blueprint every couple of years on the exam. And we're looking at kind of that middle 40, right in the middle. You know, if you're doing geospatial, you should know and understand things like projections. You should know and understand database and, uh, you know, database fundamentals. You should understand cartography, something that's not even taught anymore in college, sure. which just blows my mind. There's a lot of other stuff to know. But those are kind of those core subjects. And so if you didn't get that traditional geographic background in college, it's a good benchmark to work towards because, you know, we kind of provide that blueprint for you to follow to kind of have that fun foundational knowledge that that makes you a, a qualified geospatial professional. 
Oh, I got some questions. Um, so one of the things I want to circle back on in I hate going backwards, but it struck me when you were talking about the four requirements to become a GISP, the first thing you mentioned was four years of professional experience. In this case, how do you define professional experience? We were not sticklers. It's basically somehow, some way working in the geospatial field. Okay. So um, it's not working directly correct. under a GISP. See, that's what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Uh, and for a couple different reasons. One, there's not enough not GIS enough them, to do right. that right now. Um, but, um, yeah, so, you know, we're still building our numbers. We're, we're not even quite 20 years old yet. We're wow. actually about to be 20 years old. So, yeah, you don't have to work directly under a GISP. You just have to be involved somehow, some way in a geospatial field, a geospatial career. And, and our test is written towards that four-year experience level. We do ask questions about system design and management, professional practice, application development. So those are fairly contemporary questions and they, you know, they do change with the blueprint. So it's not to say that you can't come out of college and pass the exam because we've yep. had a few folks do that. Um, but having that experience is definitely going to help you uh, when you take, when you take the exam. Could somebody hypothetically that had four years working under a professional land surveyor uh, become qualified to take the exam? Absolutely. Awesome. Look at that value add right there. Value add. I just changed people's careers with that one question. <laughs> you really Ed, did. Remember that? Remember that email you got recently from uh, the oh. young gentleman looking to do surveys. Yes, yes, that was a great email. I uh, haven't heard back from him. If you're listening, write us back. <laughs> if you care about your career, <laughs> write us back. We Here's have more opportunities. Path. Listen to Tony. Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're spelling it out for you yeah. here. So, uh, how does like? Are there any competitive, I guess, organizations, I don't know if you look at it that way, to GISCI, or is that kind of it? I wouldn't say competitive. There's there's a couple of certifications that are out there. Okay. Uh, the U.S. Geospatial Intelligence Foundation created a GEOINT, so it was, a, it was basically a certification for geospatial intelligence professionals. Um, they rolled it out a few years back but suspended it and haven't restarted it. So there are a few folks with that certification, but there are no new folks coming out of the program. Um, ASPRS oh, yeah. has had, I think they have 10 certifications now. They, it's kind of five on two different levels, kind of like a practitioner and, and a higher level uh, professional. And most of those focus around photogrammetry, uh, LIDAR, so, mm -hmm. so basically like remote sensing types, but they do have a uh, mapping professional as well. Yep. Um, they've been around a long time. The, the photogrammetrist has, I think the mapping ones are fairly new. Um, and then Esri actually has a certification, but it's software specific. Gotcha. It's not a broad one. So you can get certified in their different products. And I, I think, I think they keep adding them as new products come out. Um, mm. Esri has a lot of different pieces of software. It's kind of hard to keep up and, you know, and so we don't, um, we don't endorse or, or I guess not endorse. I don't know what that term would be. Um, you know, we infer, we encourage folks to get whatever certification they feel is best and most appropriate for them. And mm. we have, you know, we do talk with ASPRS quite a bit. Um, and we're looking to kind of talk to the geospatial community a little bit more. Um, they're just down the road in St. Louis from me. So, you know, so we, I don't view us as competing with any of those um, organizations. Um, I think we all need to work together. Sure. Yep. No, that makes sense. So as far as acceptance goes, well, two questions. First of all, how, currently how many... Uh, active, I guess, GISP folks are out there? Um, so we've had about 10,800 folks get the certification, and we currently have about 68 
hundred active GISPs. Gotcha. So it's a little bit of a fuzzy number because we give folks a little bit of extra time to get their um, certification in and make, you know, make payment and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So they're not, they're not technically GISPs if they're past their expiration date, yep. um, but they're still in that window. So it's about, it's about 6,800 and growing. Okay. And it's, is it one of those things, this might be a really dumb question, but you know, I'm, I'm looking at this from a survey perspective. If you're a GISP in Arizona, are you a GISP in Illinois? You are. And so that's, you know, we get a lot of questions about what's the difference between certification and licensure. Yeah. Um, and I bet you, you guys understand that really well. Um, licensure, and I actually have three licenses now, uh, three professional licenses. It, very similar in the, in the sense that you have to display competencies, um, at least for all of my licensures. I have continuing education credits that I have to take. Um, I had to take a, and pass an exam. But, but licensure tends to be state by state, and it comes with an actual legal designation. And so I don't know the specifics as well as the surveyors and engineers do, but you know, I, if you're a licensed surveyor in Missouri, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can do land surveying in other states unless there's some level of reciprocity. With, with the GISP, there's not that legal requirement, there's not, or that legal, that legal you know, uh, stature that's involved. And you can be a GISP in any of the 50 states, you know, 57 insular territories, and indeed worldwide. We have GISPs in 57 different countries right now. Wow. That's interesting. Okay. You know, now I've got a question. So um, obviously, if you're in the states like in Arizona or Texas, you get licensed as a land, a professional land surveyor for the state. But a CFEDS is technically a certified federal surveyor. So they're certified and they're not licensed. In I guess this is a question for you, Kent, uh, quickly. Is a CFEDS on par with an RLS or a PLS at that point? I almost look at it like from a, like the, um, I don't know, from like a, a medical perspective, like you, you, you're a family medicine doctor, but you can get like a certification to do other things. Let's say I kind of look at that same way. It, it's not, you have to be a PLS RLS before you can become a CFEDS. Okay. Legal. Probably the biggest difference is the legal component of a okay. license. Okay. You are okay. licensed in a state to do yep. certain things. And so, you know, I'm, I am a Missouri licensed EMT, emergency medical technician. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. There's more. There's more to this. <laughs> How the hell is this another Trent Keenan where he lives in a universe that has 50 hours a day and we all live in a 24 hour a day universe? Something's going on. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, Tony. Keep going. No, you're good. So that goes, that goes with the firefighting piece. Okay, um, got it, got it, got it. But but I can't I can't go into Kansas and do EMT things because I'm not licensed in the mm. state of Kansas to do those things. Again, Same a thing license, with so it's a license, not a certification, right? Yeah. So, but so but so I want to expand on that a little bit. Sorry, sorry, Nick, but I just got to ask because it's so close. You're you know you're in Kansas. Somebody is in need. You you can't help them mm. or like you know is that more if you're on duty and what you're allowed to do on duty. I can, uh, good Samaritan laws and also duty to act. Okay. All I right. have yeah. a duty to act if I see something happen, but I, I couldn't get a job as a EMT on an ambulance service. Ah, oh, got it. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 Without getting my licensure in the state of Kansas. What's the reciprocity like between, and I guess we can back that up to, I mean, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but how easy it is to be a licensed EMT in, in another state. Um, well, 
I shouldn't use DMT as an example because they do have now what's called the National Registry. So it gets you reciprocity. Probably the better example would be pyrotechnicians, right? So I have two pyrotechnic licenses close in proximity. I can't shoot in Kansas unless I go through the entire licensing process. Mm, okay. So so if we do a show in Kansas, we just call a licensed survey or shooter in Kansas and they basically supervise the show and shoot it on our behalf. I got to ask, if you actually added up all the 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 acronyms of all the licenses and certifications that you have after your name, like how long would that be? The I mean, alpha, you got the EMT in there and the <laughs> in there would just be everything, <laughs> well, on right? That note, though, that's a, that brings up a good point, Sean, because there is an acronym after your name that I'm not familiar with, the CGMP. Yeah, yeah, I'm just looking at it what here. What is that Ron. one? Uh, certified Government Meeting Planner. Oh, what the hell? What or the Certified heck? Government Meeting Professional. Oh, my So I can God. plan a meeting for you. I got to make up some acronyms. <laughs> Seriously. That totally <laughs> sounds like something the government would do. Good you got to somebody certify. We got to bring in somebody so we can have a meeting. <laughs> so one question that I have, um, because I have the question about the, the survey examinations, technology is advancing at such a rapid pace. Um, I mean, definitely in the survey world, in the geospatial world in general, how often do the exams for the GISP have to be updated? So we have within our uh, we have an exam bank of questions. So typical of any professional examination. So we're always having different exams. Every exam is different because it's a random pull. We try to update our blueprint every three to four years. And if you look at the current blueprint, there's like ten basic areas, and then forty five. We call them KSAs, they're knowledge, skill, and ability areas. Um, a lot, like the first seven. Um, the first seven key areas, I would argue, are very fun foundational and not likely to change because there's a lot about geospatial um, and, and probably surveying is the same way. There's just never going to change, right? You're always going to have the same foundational concepts, mm -hmm. you know, same ways of visualizing and displaying information. But we do have some, some sections and some questions that deal with things like system design and management, uh, professional practice and the like. So we're, we're never going to ask you, you know, a question specific to scripting, like, you know, is, is this a valid script or something like that, as much as we're going to, we're going to ask you questions like, what are the common scripting languages used right now? And, and how would you use them? So, you know, when I got started with Esri products, it was uh, uh, AML and Avenue and, Arc, and ArcView. And, you know, right now, Python is kind of the programming language du jour. So it's very important for us to keep it contemporary. And you will see questions probably in the next blueprint on technologies like UAS and the like. And, maybe some of the new sensor technologies that's coming out, but we don't ever want to move away from those basics because, you know, regardless of how you're capturing your data, you still have to store it. You know, you still have to understand things like the projections, mm -hmm. um, you know, how the data, the limitations of the data and the like, and I don't think those things will ever change. So uh, like, like what you just said about the, you know, the basic fundamentals, like what do you, what do you see as the, those that are starting to get into the process of ob obtaining their, their licensure, what are the, what's the skill gap that you see is most common? Is it that projection or, I mean, what's the, what don't these, these people know as well as other things when they go into this process? Um, a little bit on the, on the conceptual side, but I think one of the things we're seeing the most right now is on the data side. Mm. Um, you know, when I got started, if you wanted data, you created it. There are a lot of sources, but those sources were, you know, paper maps and the like. And now folks just go to the web and they just download the data and start using it. And, and so, 
you know, there's not a lot of awareness of the limitations of the data, how it was collected, resolution. Um, you know, folks don't understand that a one to 24,000 scale map, you know, you're going to be plus or, you know, 95% of your objects are plus or minus 40 feet, if I remember that correctly. You know, they just assume if the line's there, the line's there, right? That's where the right. road is. And, th and that's where you start getting into trouble, right? And so it's, I think, I think not understanding uh, data very well and the limitations, that's probably one of the biggest areas where we see some some issues. Yeah, so not not all data is made the same or means the same is made the same and you can rely on the same. Yep. Interesting. I, yeah. I wonder if that may be a little like systemic in the fact that like mm. the where we are today in teaching and technology, if you're 18 years old and in college you've had a cell phone your entire life, you know, you you know these I saw today I was watching a Esri educational video and they were showing the use of desktop and it's just declining in mobile apps and online mm -hmm. is is going up exponentially. And I, I just wonder if we lost some of that original foundational knowledge where like that'd be the fundamentals of land surveying, the fundamentals of engineering, you know, the, the fundamentals of geospatial. Hey there, Geoholics. Just a quick shout out to this week's featured friend of the program, ProStar. ProStar is a software company specializing in developing precision mapping solutions focused on the critical infrastructure industry. ProStar's flagship product, PointMan, is a patented cloud and mobile mapping application designed to significantly improve the workflow processes and business practices associated with the lifecycle management of critical infrastructure, both above and below the Earth's surface. Well said. Some of the largest entities in North America have adopted ProStar solutions, including Fortune 500 construction firms, subsurface utility engineering firms, utility owners, and government agencies. ProStar has strategic business partnerships with the world's leading geospatial technology providers, data collection equipment manufacturers, and dealer networks. To find out more, go to ProStarCorp.com and tell them the Geoholic sent you. So I do have a question, kind of a two-parter here. Um, so we talk about the, the GIS uh, Certificate Institute uh, certifying people. They get the certification, and that gives them this bar of, you know, um, professionalism and, you know, everything we just discussed. But what I also want to kind of look at is, and that's kind of like a reactionary, right? So somebody comes and they want to get this uh, certificate. What about kind of being proactive? Does does GIS, uh, CI, GICSI, do they do anything in promoting GIS or the use of technology? Do you collaborate at all with other organizations like your RISA? You kind of mentioned ASPRS. So kind of just curious on how y'all forward face kind of educating the masses about GIS and, you know, professional, you know, certification. Dr. Nick, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Nick. That's why we got him. Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, so I'm actually the first full-time uh, executive director of the GISCI. So, so many of you remember Bill Hodge, who's awesome. He just finally retired. Um, he really, he helped transition us. So we're in the process right now of kind of stepping up those types of activities. So, we do, we work with ERISA a lot. I mean, they're kind of our, our parent organization. They got us on our feet and they continue to support us and help us grow. And they're really, really big advocates. Um, and so we try to do a lot of outreach with them. We're starting to work with other organizations. You know, one of the things that we're um, just spinning up right now, and I'm really excited about this, unofficially, we're calling it the pre-GISP program. It might be something else. 
Um, but it's, it's like an entry-level GISP that's geared more towards college students uh, to kind of get them in the profession and you know, kind of get them in the stream Genius. and help point them in the right direction. Yep. And then the piece that's going to go along with it that is just about done, it just needs board approval and we're going to roll it out, it is what we're calling a, a Pathways to GIS um, certification. Mm-hmm. And the, the Pathways document is designed to take you kind of from early early level professional and kind of walk you through the steps of, you know, now that you've got your job, these are the things that you want to do for education. So you want to do continuing education. You want to go to conferences. These are the things you should be doing for, you know, contributions back to the profession. Get involved with a professional association, whether it's a a ERISA or a NISJIC or a local group or a state council. Um, Go to conferences, present at conferences, volunteer your time, you know, be present in the profession. And I think that's what's key is, you know, if, if our professions are going to move forward, you need people that are present in the profession itself to help do these things. Um, you know, like all the GIS conferences that I've ever been to, with the exception of the big ones, you know, all those state and local, they're all put on by volunteers, right? So it takes people being in the profession to put these things on and provide those educational opportunities for, for the younger folks or the folks that are new to the profession to kind of help keep them move forward. So, hmm. Well Amen. said. Yeah, well said. Well said. I love Thank that. Uh, be present in the in the profession is is something that we can hold on to that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that, that we're taking that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Everything. Every, <laughs> is that my is that my uh, yeah. Keith Mass back geospatial moment? <laughs> <laughs> we found a listener. <laughs> yes. Yes. Sean is so sick of that quote. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Now you got a new one. You gotta be present in the profession. You gotta be present in the profession. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I, I, what I heard there, um, an intro kind of a, a intermediate step to get to that GISP. It sounds a lot like like an LSIT. Sure. Or you know, is there something in that in engineering where you're kind of working yeah, your way up? Yeah, it's an EIT. An EIT. Oh, that's right. Engineering and training. Yeah. I've, I've seen that. Yep. Hmm. Doesn't mean anything, but you, it, it you, does. Uh, it, it is a step along the way. Is it now the ES? Or no, what would it be? FE, Fundamentals of Engineering. Uh, the Fundamentals of Engineering is the exam that you have to take yeah. in order to obtain your EIT certification. So it's the EIT exam? Yeah. Okay. And I may have that wrong. There may I be. Right. There's another one. I don't, I can't, uh, the practice, there's the practices of engineering. So that's the PE exam. Gotcha. Is what you take to become a PE. But the FE is what you take to become an EIT. Yeah, 10-4. And for the record, the FE is way harder than the PE. PE oh, that, yeah, well, the, yeah, the, 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 the first one, the first one harder. is the first one's way harder. Yeah, yep, for us as well. For us Sean, as well. you're you're out acronyming us, uh, us GIS people. Right <laughs> I did That's not think that was possible. <laughs> That's hard I just to do. heard that the FE plus the PM and the PE <laughs> equals the uh, yeah. All right. Oh my gosh. So what advice, um, you have a unique perspective, Tony, mm-hmm. what advice would you give somebody considering a career in GIS? I would encourage them to educate themselves, obviously, because of all the components. But I think one of the most important things is what we just discussed you know, a few minutes ago, and that's being present in the profession. Um, I learned a lot on my own. I self-educated like a lot of folks do. But I've learned so much more from going to conferences, talking to folks, you know, listening during the day and then, you know, being in the hospitality suite at night, talking about, you know, things that work, things that didn't work, 
Um, I've made a lot of good professional relationships. I met, I met Nick uh, at the Magic, the other Magic Conference, which is in, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And, you know, I, I, those relationships, um, that's really what I think helps move you forward to the profession. And that's, you know, that's kind of how helps you get involved in these different opportunities. Um, you know, I had a lot of really good guidance starting, you know, back when I worked with the DEC, you know, gentlemen that supported me and going out and learn how to do GIS. And, you know, I had, I had good bosses uh, when I worked at the Department of Conservation. Mm. And, you know, same thing with the fire service. I mean, it, I was brought in to help start Missouri Task Force One because they wanted to bring a geospatial component to it. And so they supported me and they supported me and helping bring in mapping to our fire department and, and moving those efforts forward. And so, you know, I, I, th I think when we work as a community, we can really mm. move ourselves uh, as well as the folks we work with forward. And so that's, you know, that's what I tell young folks more than anything else, get involved, join a, join a user group, go to a conference, make friends. I mean, heck I'm, I'm going skiing in a couple of weeks with all GIS people, all folks I met at conferences from across the country. And, and, you know, it's great. I mean, that's how you build those, those strong relationships. Thank God for bunny slopes. Hey, yeah, there's like time. so many jokes that you can <laughs> take from was, 40 yours, GIS. I got one. What was like, yours? Like, no one's getting lost in I the woods in that one. Somebody gets lost in that group, they are out. <laughs> right. Out. No longer. Oh, that's hilarious. So that spatial funny. relationship is broken. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah, who's yeah? Are you arguing the spatial relationship to uh, falling <laughs> on your face and, and on, on the slopes? It's awesome. Uh, wait, where does That's sleeping awesome, where That's does awesome. sleeping in, in the other room fit in a spatial relationship? What are you talking about? Could, could be buffer analysis. Buffer analysis. <laughs> buffer analysis. Safety <laughs> analysis. There you go. When you get kicked out of bed for snoring, you have to go to the other room. You know how that goes. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, got it. Got yeah, it. Spatial relationships. Mm. Oh, gosh. What else? To you Tobler says the uh, first law of geography. Ready for this? Things that are closer are more related. So Ooh, as you get yeah. further away, sleeping in the other room, you are mm. less related. Oh, I like that. Or out of out of snow range or snore range. Snore range, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just don't, don't spatially buffer yourself out the front door. That right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Don't spatial spatial yourself to the Motel Six. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, what else? Yeah, what else you want to get out there, Tony? Well, you know, I, the thing, like I said earlier, I think it's really important to educate yourself for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, obviously, we're talking about the GISP right now, but. Um, you know, certification has its benefits. It's it's not for everyone. Um, you know, some folks probably aren't going to need certification in their in their career. Um, but I think the most important thing is, like I said, just to educate yourself on it, understand what it is, and um, you know, if it if it's for you, we want to help you get that certification and help you grow. And if it's if it's not, then you know, it's it's still important that you be a part of our profession and and be active in it. You know what? Just because of the way you presented that, it brought another question to mind. Um, do you see the GISP becoming more of a license versus a certification? You know, potentially, but but I think I would hope not. And here's why. Because people move around a lot these days, right? And it would be difficult if every time you moved or got a different job or, you know, you maybe you work for a company that has offices in a couple different states that you'd have to go out and um, get, you know, get licensure in all those states. Um, I guess maybe that's a question back to you. Do you guys see value in having um, licensure and surveying or engineering that's state specific? Um, 
well, I didn't see Kent being a big fan of uh, red tape and re- regulation, but I can say as far as engineering and especially when it comes to like what what my focus has been or what was and is, is still in the geotech and that that space it's very very location specific mm, i see that i cannot go to oregon and have the same knowledge base it, it's just so it's all about having the local practice and that's really different from what you guys do i mean well, no, i mean i, I understand no. it's like in mm-hmm. surveying you know correct me if i'm wrong it's how how it's measured and how and it and, and it's more of a yeah a not a physical but, the unit but a is still the same. yeah the, the unit is still the same but that's more of a it's more of a, it's what's statue the word based. yeah it's statute, it's statute based, based not not physical physical location correct based. sure yeah fair enough yeah but there is value to having yeah. ha- main, maintaining some some structure within each state because that's how it's done in each state but i think and i mean correct me if i'm wrong please i think gis is way more universal yeah, and that's then, that, that's my assumption yeah. too. Is that it yeah. can go across? Absolutely, there is no lines. They yeah. they, they make the line. You know, they yeah, they, yeah uh, for sure. I don't I don't think it should be a license. I like the certification model for sure when it comes uh-huh. to GIS. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people will use GIS, and if they're doing geotechnical stuff or you know uh, geomorphology, they're going to get some other degree or certification or licensure in that field, and then right. they know GIS. You know, you'll still, you'll see yeah. that a lot. But what I but we talked about earlier that I that I like and he mentioned was the and like the, we were talking about the the gap between you know what what most people need help with or don't know when they're getting into the process of being a professional and that uh, be, being aware of where the data comes from I think there's a lot of it makes a lot of sense to me on somebody not in the G, in the GIS world it's like yes I want a professional that understands data where it comes from and how to use it so i'm gonna take i'm gonna take what they give me exactly as it's honest truth and i want them to filter out and give me you know i want that understanding and 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 that uh confidence in what i get shouldn't have to second guess it right and and it should be at that level and i shouldn't say oh a a gis guy gave it to me and well he just yanked it out of somewhere and didn't even verify right if if the file says flat underscore earth dot shp do not trust (laughs) it (laughs) (laughs) you know tony i've got one one last question um you know, to wrap up my side of the the evening, the one thing I hear all the time from professionals, certainly through LinkedIn and 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 you know um, social media sites like that, is they they're young professionals and they are trying to study for the test. Can you talk to some strategy resources, people, classes, whatever? Because apparently the test is pretty hard and not everybody's uh-huh. passing it. And so uh, that's what I hear. So any any recommendations uh, for those people out there looking at the GSP test? Yeah, absolutely. So there's if you go to our website, um, we do have a page that has a bunch of educational resources available. Uh, we currently have an unofficial study guide. Um, we we have links to some uh, additional resources. Uh, there are a number of organizations that do classes, like ERISA has a class that they teach. Um, they it's not a class; it's like a seminar, and they usually do that two or three times a year online. They do it in person. Uh, Teach Me GIS is a private company that has a very specific um, um, course that they make available again in person and online. Um, and and um, we, you know, we put the blueprint out there. We're basically telling you this is where the questions are coming from. 
And so that's kind of that study guide and that, that blueprint. What we're working on now, we just kind of kicked it off. We are creating an official study guide to help folks with the exam. And, you know, the, the big challenge is there's not one book to look at. You know, there's hundreds of really good books. Um, you know, Esri puts out a lot of really good uh, materials that are not specific to their software. Um, and so it's really hard to say, like, these are the five books you need to, to look at or look from. And so kind of the way we're going to head with this, the official study guys, it's, it's going to start out as uh, we're basically going to have a GitHub page um, mm. and start assembling um, different types of uh, resources for folks to study from books, articles and the like, but kind of organize them to that blueprint. Um, and then from that, we'll pull out and have that official blueprint. So unfortunately, not available for our, our next uh, group of test takers, but but the other piece that we really encourage folks to get involved with is we do have an official, we actually have two official study exams. Um, we have the original, which we retired, and then the current one. So we updated the questions. The, the retired uh, official study guide or study exam, I'm sorry, is a PDF that you can go pull from the website and get from free. The current official exam is 50 questions. They're retired. So they used to be on the exam and it's administered online like you were actually taking the exam. Uh, the only difference is you get your results immediately uh, versus the delay with the exam. And it is, it's broken out by blueprint. We try to give you enough questions in each area. So it would be like actually taking the exam. Um, and we encourage folks to take it. It's $30. You get to take it twice. Hmm. Take it the first time, study. You're going to get your results, right? So that's going to give you a, a kind of an indication of where you need to improve. You did really poorly on cartography. Put some more effort into studying on the cartography side. Um, then you get to take it again. And you get to see how well you improved. We found, I need, to, I need to get some actual hard statistics, but I would estimate that about 85 to maybe 90% of the folks that take the practice exam twice will score about the same on the actual exam. So folks will ask us, so like, you think we're ready to take the exam? And I look and it's like, uh, dude, you got a, a 55 and a 60. Yep. Don't take it yet. Study some more. Um, folks pop off and they get like a 70 or a 75 they're in a really good position to pass. So we want people to succeed. We want them to pass. We don't want to fail them. And so that's what we encourage folks to do is take that exam. It's a good barometer. You know, every so often we'll, we'll get one or two folks that'll, you know, score a 50 and then they'll get like an 85 on the, on the exam itself um, because they put in a lot of work to get there. But, um, you know, and of course, at any point you have any questions along the journey, you, you give us a shot. We'd be glad to help you. And how would folks like surveyors and engineers that are listening that are now considering a career in uh, obtaining the GISP certificate, how do they find out more? Uh, go to our website, GISCI.org. Um, everything's listed there. Um, we have, like I said, you can find the exam blueprint. Uh, you, you find information on the certification itself. You'll find information on the exam. Uh, we put a lot of resources there. Uh, basically, like I said, you can find the official exam and the unofficial study guide. Um, we put all our instructions up there. Um, pretty much everything we got is available through the website. Oh, that's awesome. So before we, before we get out of here, let's go around the horn real quick. Sean, anything else? Um, no, I'm good. Dr. Nick, anything else? Good to go. I'm good as well. Tony, thank you so much for being here. I think Sean has one more question for you, but we, we greatly appreciate your time. This has been awesome content. Always have a, uh, a final question that uh, we want to get your input on. Do you have a mantra that you live by? Yeah. So um, for many years, I don't think I had a mantra. Maybe just, you know, let the good times roll or, or, or something along those lines. But 
as I started, you know, going out and, and uh, doing presentations you know, with COVID, I did a lot of virtual presentations. And, um, you know, what I would always tell folks, you know, what does it take to be a GISP and maintain a GISP is you have to invest in yourself and you have to invest in the geospatial community. And I think maybe one of the reasons why that really resonated with me is because if you take out the, the word geospatial, I think that's my mantra, right? Mm. Always taking time to invest in myself, uh, make myself smarter, uh, taking time to have some fun too, you know, um, and enjoy life and, and my family. And then always, always investing in my community, whether it's being a volunteer firefighter, serving on all these uh, committees that I do. You know, I've, I've been involved in a lot of different committees throughout the years geospatial community. I mean, I, I think that's what makes us better, right? When we work together, mm. um, when we help promote common causes, you know, help each other out. Um, I've made some, some great friendships being a part of the geospatial community. And um, I've got to know a lot of people that, you know, not necessarily friends, but acquaintances and, you know, folks, I know I can, uh, I can help if they need help and that I'd, they'd help me. So, you know, always, always be willing to give up your time to other folks, um, whatever way, whether it's professional, you know, whether it's, you know, giving somebody a buck or giving somebody a, a sandwich. Um, but then always take time to, to invest in yourself. Do things that are going to make you happy. Do things that are going to make you smarter. And do things that are going to make you a better person. Yeah, well, I can say based on your, uh, your, your global resume here and all the things that you do, you really live by that. And uh, it's definitely admirable. Absolutely. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tony. This has been fantastic. Uh, we'd love to have you come back again. There's plenty more we can talk about. Dr. Nick, thanks for being here, man. Always a pleasure, y'all. And thank you, guys. I appreciate being here. I want to be back for the 2112 episode. You're in, man. All right. All right. In. Yeah. Speaking of that. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Gosh darn. Do calendars go out that far? I have no idea. They do. <laughs> and we're booking out to that far. All right. Adding value and making friends. That's what we do. Uh, if anyone would like to be a guest on a future show or have topical ideas, shoot us an email at info at geoholics.com. Rush Spirit of the Radio available everywhere. Until next time, everyone. Invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. Invest in your community. In your profession. Be present in your profession. Are you going to repeat everything I say? Yes. Most importantly. Most importantly. (laughs) Be safe and healthy. Be safe and healthy. (laughs) 